Hello everybody, welcome back to the Glue Glue Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Quinn, and join me again today is my regular co-host, Chris Nugent. How's it going, Chris? Yes, Kyle, and things aren't too bad, things aren't too bad. Uh, I'm not sure how good they are at Man United, but we'll get into that. But yep, good to be here as always and have a, have a chat, mate. Not the circumstances in which I wanted to be doing this podcast this evening, um, after the, the Brighton game at Old Trafford. It's just more of the same, really. Um, same players and same old feelings. Um you know, I think Glenn Hogg said himself in a previous interview that, you know, a coach isn't a musician. And when he's working with the same squad from last season, largely, when he made three signings and two, only two of them started today, um, you're just going to see the same results. Um, you know, Roy Keane has, has said for several seasons now that these players will continue to throw the manager under the bus. He says they've done it to Mourinho, they'll do it to Oli. Uh, now they don't turn into Ranyak and they'll do the same to Ten Hag. He needs to phase you know much more of the squad out and, and start replacing them. Um you know, Ranyak said we needed ten players. Um he's absolutely right about that. I think he that got him the sack for saying that. Um I'm one of only signed three players and it's it hasn't made much of an impact. Um, the same old feelings today. The the, the fullbacks were a disaster. Uh, Dallo and Luke Shaw. Uh, it's just not a surprise really at all. Luke Shaw just continuing on his form from from last season. Uh, Dallo, as we know, is a very very limited defender. Um, he can be good at times going forward, but even even then he's been hit and miss. And McFred in midfield, uh, just simply not good enough. We're now entering a a, a fifth season of McTominay and Fred. And I think the fans have just had enough now. Um, I mean, today is, is as bad as I've seen them for quite a while, and I'm not saying something. They were absolutely diabolical. Um, so what was your thoughts on the game then, Chris? Absolutely dreadful, Kyle. Absolutely dreadful, like you said. At the start of the game, um, with a couple of chances, I think it was Bruno had a chance where he skated over the bar, which was uncharacteristic of him, and I have to say, looking back on it, it was a pretty it was a pretty bad miss, to be honest, and I hit the target. I mean, he really should have hit the target from there. Um, but that that yeah, that was the high point. At that point, I thought, okay, we'll get more chances. You know, Brighton look kind of open, and we'll get more chances, and we'll you know we're we're bound to score eventually, even though we were playing without a, a kind of a, a night night striker. Um, but it just it just went from went from bad to worse. And like you said, you know, McTominay and and Fred were absolutely abysmal. Um, I think it was Brighton's first goal, um, or maybe the second goal. I can't quite remember where the the guy just ghosted in behind. Um, Fred and Fred actually looked over the opposite shoulder. Uh, he looked over his right shoulder, and the man was over his left shoulder. And and then all of a sudden, he was really shocked whenever the guy appeared behind him and popped it in. I mean, I, it, it literally, like I, I've literally watched and played in games where people would be roasted at amateur level for making that sort of stupid mistake, and for somebody to do that at that level, and it's not like the guy made a really crafty run to get there. I mean, he was literally right behind him. Fred just. Was too lax didn't bother to look over his left shoulder. I mean, that is just unforgivable. As Roy Keane said after the match, you're never going to win trophies with those two guys. If you can't do the absolute basic of basics, then you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. So, no, it was abysmal, absolutely abysmal, to be honest. Yeah, we've seen something what we've seen maybe a couple of dozen times before where De Gea plays the ball to Fred while Fred's on the edge of the area. Fred then just panics and, and and plays the ball out to the right gives it away to brighton and it nearly leads to a chance how many times have we seen that no i know i never want to see fred or to play the ball to fred uh but if, if fred if fred's not capable of receiving the ball from his goalkeeper then he shouldn't be in the team you know it's, it's just shocking like i was honestly shocked when i saw them two in the team sheet because the way we rotated you know when the players that played during pre-season and Ten Hag was trying all different formations, different players. I thought to myself, he's bound to have looked at those two and went, well, these two aren't who I really want to be starting. You know, let's try a few things and find something else. <laughs> and then to go back to the same old, same old in the first day of the season, I was going, did he not watch, has he not watched these guys at all last year? Did he not watch them in pre-season? Has he not seen anything that the rest of us have been watching? Um, you're right. I mean, Fred is just abysmal. Gives the ball away every time. And McTominay... Um, I don't know. McTominay's weird. There's times McTominay goes in hard, and I think you know it's kind of Roy Keane-esque, and you go, okay, he plays on the edge, but you can kind of 
you know, accept that, but he hasn't got the football to back it up. You know, and half the time when he goes in, I think it was his yellow card he got, he, he lunged into the guy, almost broke his leg because he lost the ball because he wasn't good enough to be able to to control the ball. And then he nearly goes and breaks somebody's leg. I mean, you know, that goes beyond being, oh, that's great to see a hard tackle. That goes to the point where you're going, just making a fool of yourself. You know what I mean? You can't control the ball and you're going to go out and wreck people over there. You know, that's just... Yeah. Nah. He should have been sent off. It's not and, good and enough, s- yeah. Not good and enough. somebody on Twitter said it would have done us a favour had he, had he been sent off there. I mean, 100%. Uh, he deserved it. Like, I mean, it was blatant. He lost the ball and he just absolutely went through the guy. High. Could have broke his leg. And no Man United fan could have could have had any sympathy. And, you know, you just... Nah, nah. You know, there's 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 times whenever you're playing on the edge, and there's times whenever you're just you're just making a movie of yourself. And I just thought he made a fool of himself there, to be honest. That particular incident, some McTominay up in a nutshell. He received the ball just outside Brighton's penalty area. He took six touches, mm-hmm. and then he lost control of it. And then the seventh touch was was a was a horror tackle. Yeah, hundred uh, No, I mean, often say that about Fred and McTominay. That their second touch is always a tackle. Uh, and, and that's a sign of a very poor midfielder. Exactly, yeah. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And like I say, everybody loves a good combative midfielder. We've plenty of them. You love them, but combative midfielder, whenever they're up against somebody who's good on the ball and they're trying to rough them up, but not because you've just lost the ball with your previous touch. You then have to go be combative to, to combative to get it back. I mean, that just means you can't do the basics again. Like I said, yeah. and they were they were both substituted. I think the, the the first two players to be taken off in the game. That's not a surprise. Um, I, th- for me, I I don't want to see. I certainly don't want to see that partnership again. And if uh, in an ideal world, I don't want to see either of them play for Man United again. But I know because you know there's so many fires to put out uh, around the pitch that we can't we can't replace everybody this summer. So we're probably probably going to see more of them. But it just shows that it's absolutely urgent now that we sign a, a center center mid. Um, I hope Frankie de Jong was not watching this game. I really hope to God because he won't be coming anywhere near Old Trafford if he was. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, this is the thing. He might be thinking himself, I'll definitely start over one of those guys, but then he'd be going, but then that means I have to play alongside the other one. <laughs> and he'd be going, yeah. I don't think I fancy that. <laughs> and that could be the problem. Yeah, um, I don't think too many world-class players will, will fancy um, rocking up at Old Trafford and playing in the Europa League and losing home games to Brighton. Um, it's 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 demoralising. I mean, Brentford away next Saturday is is going to be a challenging fixture as well. You know, um, they came back from two 0 down to draw against Leicester today. Um, and you know, at at home with the, the raucous crowd there, they can be a difficult team to beat. They've got some very good players, fantastic coach. So that certainly won't be an easy game either. And then we wait for this. Their next home game is Liverpool. You know. Based on what I saw today, it's, it could be 5 or 6 nil again. Yeah, there's no reason why not. If we play like that, absolutely. I mean, if you give Brighton that kind of space and they don't have a Salah or a Firmino or any players of that calibre in the team and they're able to punish us, then players like Salah and Firmino, etc. and Thiago will absolutely rip us to pieces. Um, but, yeah, you know, the usual, it's a cup final, we'll probably raise our game, blah, 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 blah. But that's, that's just that's not good enough. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just it could just be a destruction, but it's, it's not, and, and, not good at all. And you know, I'm just having flashbacks there to how horrendous Luke Shaw was in that game against Liverpool last season at Old Trafford. And there again today, he he, he fails to stop the shot the, that that lead to the, the second goal. Um, again and again and again, he, st- he, he stands five yards off his man and lets the cross come in. He's just, I've just seen enough of him now. He said eight years at Old Trafford and he said one good season. I think time's up for me. I think I was very, very surprised that actually Malasaya didn't start the game, but I hope he starts the next one. What's your thoughts? Yeah, 100%. Whenever he did come on, I thought that it's great to see him coming on. He come on a wee bit too late. Yeah, that thing you're talking about, Kyle, about him standing off his man. You know, again, I watched that all day today. You know, we've talked. I've talked about before about us always looking lax and balls being played behind the man and people not not enough urgency. And I've seen it again today, and I just cannot understand it. It makes me think that the player, some of the players we have, actually think that they're so good they don't need to give a hundred percent. It's as if I've got ability, I've got this under control. I don't need to worry about that guy come behind me because I play for Man United and he only plays for Brighton, so I don't need to worry about him. 
I mean, I watched that again today. You know, Fred, as I say, showed it with that goal. Uh, Shaw did it all the time, and other players as well. And I, I just can't understand it. They're not good enough. You know, they have to put a hundred percent effort. Has to be the absolute minimum. But for some reason, some guys at Man United right now think they don't have to give a hundred percent effort. And yeah, Shaw's one of them, and Fred's another one. I just I can't get my head around it. Yeah, and they didn't seem to have any belief when they went 2-0 down. You know, it's not what we associate with Manchester United, but it is what we associate with the, the current team. Uh, they just appear to, to give up, really. They slightly improved when Ronaldo came on and Ericsson moved further back. Uh, the, the experiment to put Ericsson as like a false nine didn't really work. Uh, but when he's able to play deeper and pull the strings and you have a target man like Ronaldo in the middle, um, you did see a slight improvement. Um, one frustration... Uh, about an incident that involved Ronaldo was that he created a chance for Marcus Rashford. Rashford one on one with the goalkeeper, and we knew what happens every time Rashford's one on one, the goalkeeper saves it or he puts it wide, and and that's what happened. I wish it had been Rashford playing the ball across the penalty area to Ronaldo, and it might have been a goal. Um, but uh, Rashford again, it was I think it was a a wonderful cross from the right hand side by Christian Eriksen to Rashford at the back post. And again, he he failed to make a meaningful connection with the ball, and, and I think it it just it went wide of the post. Again, a very very underwhelming display from Marcus Rashford, and and very lucky to be in the starting eleven. So it, it's very worrying, uh, and he's been out of form for must be two years now. So I really don't know where his career is going as well. To be honest with you, yeah, I mean, I think what concerned me about the, about that was was the fact that you know. I can see why Ronaldo wasn't in the team today, and I think most fans would have agreed that he shouldn't have been in the team. I think we all feel a wee bit aggrieved with him at the minute, and we're uh, totally... I was on board with that. When I see it as a star, I thought, yep, that's proper order. You can't disrespect the club, etc., and start. So that was right. But the fact that we couldn't then muster up somebody to, to replace him really does show how badly things are at the minute, that you couldn't rely on Marcus Rashford, either because of what you just described, Kyle, that he's missing these easy chances, or because he himself refuses to play in the middle because he has to play on the left because that's what he wants or whatever it is and i mean i'm not sure maybe you know maybe langa was injured or something today but you know why did Alanga not you know the fact that we play with ericsson up front rather than actually having another striker in there and ericsson playing where he eventually ended up which was kind of the no-brainer position for him anyway um worries me but like you described there um i would have said rashford put him in there that's who should go there but the fact that he missed those chances shows the reason why actually that wouldn't have been any good anyway um, and that's pretty concerning. I mean, a player with his talent and who was a striker at one point, he should be able to slot in there and say, look, today, son, you're playing up front because Cristiano's not playing. You're going to play there. And if you get a chance, I need you to take it. I mean, he should be able to step up, do a job and say, OK, that's my job for today. That's fine. I'll do that. But no, and that's that's concerning in itself. Yeah, and he, he posts all these uh, gym videos in, in pre-season about how hard he's working and all and how hard you know the fitness work he does even when he's on holiday. But as soon as he gets on the pitch in a meaningful game, he doesn't do it. And so it's very, right, very being frustrating. Fit. Well, lot, every player in the Premier League's fit, but you know, maybe he should be working more on his shooting and less on his on his on his, his fitness, you know what I mean? Because it's hitting the target that he needs to do more of and making the right decisions. That's what he needs to do. You know, being fit, that's the minimum. <laughs> Roy Keane even alluded to it earlier, I think. Um he said the, the noises coming out from the United camp is that they're they're much fitter now, and he's like, "Bravo!" I mean, that's the absolute minimum requirement of any athlete to be fit. Now that, that's seen as an achievement. Now it's absolutely embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, that is the absolute minimum. Being fit should be a given. You should never be unfit uh, at that level, and then the rest is what is what wins you the games. But the fact that, yeah, like you say, it's an achievement just to be fit is shows how far we have really, really fallen. Yeah, and, and another object is played by Bruno Fernandes, just wastefully giving the ball away time and time again. And then he had a great opportunity to open the scoring and he scooped it over the bar. And that could have been a different game if that goes in. It would have given the team confidence. What the once in the noise levels go up in, in in the stadium, um and wouldn't give would have given everyone a left, they would have been one nil up and we might have even won the game, but you know, he, he failed to convert his chance. And just another very frustrating display. Another another person who's been woefully out of form for a very long time now. So yeah, him and Rashford are, are in the same boat, really, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, again, it comes back to what I said earlier and what I keep banging on about really know It's a lack of urgency. It's like he's a few yards out. Absolutely take the net clean off 
absolutely welly it with everything you've got. Make sure it goes in. But it's this lean back, you know, a little bit lax, you know what I mean, and try and stroke it in. It's like, just absolutely go through the ball, put it in the back of the net. You know, it's far too slow and lax and, you know, not quite, you know, that urgency, precision, you know, and that's that's just through the team. And it was the same last year and today it was all over the place. And that you, you're not going to win games that level unless you are on it, you're precise, you're accurate, you're putting 100% effort in. It's just, yeah, again, you know, I just think he's only got himself to blame. He should have buried that. He should at least hit the target. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes maybe you could ball comes in quick at bobbles a bit. Yeah, okay, maybe that happened. Who knows? But um, a player of his standard should, should really be hitting the target from there. Okay, guys, before we continue, please comment your thoughts. Um, also, please like the video and subscribe to the podcast. Um, so, not many positives today, not many great performances. I think Ericsson and Sancho were good in moments, but they weren't on the ball uh, often enough. Um, but probably the amazingly the best two players for United on the day with the centre backs. I thought Harry Maguire had a really good game actually. Uh, I never expected that to be the case. Um, but you know you're in trouble if Harry Maguire is your best player. You know it's it's been a bad day. Um, unless it's unless it's a game away to Manchester City or Liverpool. You know you don't want Harry Maguire to be the best player on the pitch. Um, and I thought it was a, a decent enough debut from Martinez. Um, he looks very good on the ball. Although there was one incident where he's very lucky not to give away a penalty kick. It was a bit of a rush of blood to the head, Marcus Rojo type tackle. People were calling, calling him Lissandro Rojo online after that tackle. Don't know how VR didn't give you know a, a penalty there, and, and that could have been 3-0 to Brighton. Um, but yeah, he, he looks like a very, very good footballer. Yeah, he's Definitely his distribution is fantastic. He had a, he had a rasping effort, I think, in the second half as well that just narrowly over the crossbar that he nearly took the net off there and uh, i imagine he will at some point and um, but yeah positive signs for Maguire and martinez and uh, Maguire said in his post-match interview that you know we've never played together before we don't know each other and um, you know as if he was making excuses for the performance but i actually thought that you know they, them two were you know his two best players on the day and um, so if once they develop an understanding then you know maybe they'll get even better yeah, but yeah, that's a very slight positive, but a positive nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, definitely, no, definitely a positive nonetheless. No, I, I totally agree. With you. I, I think, I think, uh, yeah, they both played quite well. And actually, you know, in a way, naturally, they they should complement each other. You know, Maguire is not not the paciest, but he's big. You know, he's good in the air, etc. Um, Martinez is not that big. Not obviously going to be a massive aerial threat, but excellent on the ground. Quick reads the game really well. Great with the ball at his feet the polar opposite of Maguire and, and actually that's in a way that should be the perfect partnership. One complements the other. Um so yeah, if they can develop a, a kind of an understanding, they, they could do really well. Um yeah, I was really impressed with Martinez. As you say, Kai, there was that one incident where he, he went through the back of the guy. Um I can only think that the only reason if you were to pick anything out of it that maybe VAR saw or didn't see is that maybe they thought the guy went over a bit a bit too easily or something. But I mean he did he did put his hand right on him and and go through him so i mean it really probably should have been a penalty and then i think he got booked earlier on for a bit of a bit of a cynical one when he got caught up between two players and he kind of just did he took one for the team really um so yeah no he looks a real player he looked really bright and thought he was good and like i say compliment mcguire mcguire had a pretty decent game as a result so yep maybe a wee bit more of that in the future will that uh, will be positive so it seems to be a recurring theme with every manager at united these days well, they're very slow to make substitutions. Um, given how bad they were in the first half, like we just witnessed, this, this is Manchester United against Brighton at Old Trafford. Brighton have twelve shots on goal, and United have four. So, and that that sums up just how poor United were in the first half. And obviously, th- we were we were obviously losing at halftime, weren't we? Um, was it one 0 or two 0 at halftime? Um, not sure. Uh, I think was it two 0 I think it was two. Yeah, I think it was ready two. Either either way, we were shocking in the in in the first half. In particular, yeah, it was two 0 at at halftime. Um, he brought on eventually. He brought on Ronaldo for Fred, and then he I think he brought on Mc, Van der Beek for McTominay, and then he made three substitutions in the ninetieth minute. Uh, Granacho, Alanga, um, and Malasaya coming on, not really giving them much time to have an impact there. If it was me, I'd have made at least two subs at halftime. You have to bring Ronaldo on, even 
even in the circumstances. But I also would have probably would have brought on Garnacho for Rashford because, I mean, Rashford is horrendous. Garnacho couldn't do any worse. And we know that you know, Garnacho is very direct. He's going to make try to make things happen. Um, so, yeah, I would have given him more than five minutes. Donnie, I thought, was decent when he, when he came on. He was involved in, in, in some good stuff, some good layoffs and stuff for his teammates. But, again, he, he was only given about 14 minutes plus stoppage time. So, yeah, he didn't make a second substitution till the 77th minute. In a, in a game where United were playing so poorly, I, I was surprised at that, were you? Yeah, I was, I was. I mean, I like you said, I mean, um, I kind of thought that there, there would be a change at halftime. It was obvious that um, you know, the kind of the Ericsson false nine experiment wasn't really working. And yeah, despite all our frustrations with Fernando, it was a no-brainer really because we didn't have a striker at all to bring on a striker. And Ericsson was obviously going to slot more naturally into that um, you know, set of midfield role. And considering how bad Fred and McTominay were doing, you wanted to get one of them off. So it seemed like a no-brainer to take one of them off, put Slot Ericsson in there, who was obviously going to be an upgrade on either one of them, um, and have a striker on. Um, Ronaldo or Alanga or whoever, but Ronaldo was more the natural the natural choice, of course. So yeah, I was surprised. I, I kind of thought um, being 2-0 down at halftime, really need a goal. And, and a goal actually straight after halftime would have been great. You know, you know that happened. You know, we see that happen all the time in games. You know, a team comes out losing 2-0 or 1-0 at halftime. You get a goal really quick. Um, and then that gives them the impetus then to go and say, okay, we, we now have a chance here. So, yeah, I think he should have brought on, I think he should have really um, made that change at half time. And then uh, coming in the second half, but Fernando had a managed to snatch one quick. All of a sudden, it's 2 1. You're thinking, okay, game on now. We've got nearly a whole half to get two goals and go win it, or even just one goal and get, and get a draw. So, yeah, I was surprised they left so late. I'm not sure why that was. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was a bit too late. Yeah, and we. <laughs> Even our goal on the day was a scrappy own goal. Um, I think, you know, this is another damning stat. You know, before that own goal, the last six goals uh, in, in games between Brighton and Man United have all been Brighton goals. Um, so that's the 4-0 defeat in May and the 2-1 defeat today. Um, six goals in a row, Brighton scored against us until they, they scored an own goal. Well, you could say it is seven Brighton goals because even our goal was scored by a Brighton player. Um <laughs> So it, it's just would have been this would have been unthinkable under you know previous yeah uh, regimes like Ferguson obviously I if, just if cannot you, believe this. No, it's really poor, Kyle. But if you look at it in some ways now, I think it's actually not a surprise. Graham Potter knows how to play against Man United. He knows that if you park the bus against us, we can't break it down, and he knows that if you if you can hit us where we're vulnerable in certain positions, you know fullback particularly. Um, Etc. And and often in the past, even centre back. If you hit us fast and hard on the break, you've always got a chance of getting a goal, which is what happened today. Get a break, get a goal, sit back. You know, just sit there. We're we're never going to break it through in a million years, and that, and that's what happened. And he he knows that's how you can play against us and get a result. And Sacedo in the centre of the park dominated again. Not that he was playing against much. Let's be fair. Um, yeah. And uh, the goal scorer, um, Pascal Gross, he got both goals today. This is another amazing stat. He has scored against Manchester United um, while Mourinho was manager, Solskjaer is manager, Ranić is manager, and now Ten Hag is manager. This guy has scored against all four managers uh, against Manchester United. Um, so it's a player who's getting a lot of joy against us. It's not a shock. And, and again, it, it tells me that they know how to, they know how to do it. He knows what positions to be in and what situations, and Graham Potter knows how knows how to win games against us. It's it's just it's definitely not a coincidence. Um, that guy keeps scoring. He knows where to be, when to be in the right positions. He, they know what our weaknesses are, and they're able to exploit them. Um, and Ten Hag is is unfortunately got the job. He's going to have to also recognize those weaknesses if he hasn't already, and he's going to have to find ways to plug them those gaps because yep, other teams if if, if Brighton can. Do it on a consistent basis. Other teams will be able to as well, and that's that's not good news. Yeah, and not a single new signing was playing for Brighton today. If anything, their team has got weaker due to selling players to to Chelsea uh, and uh, City, I think. Um, so yeah, or, no Tottenham. Sorry, they've sold players to Tottenham on on Chelsea, um, key players, and yet they were still able to dominate us at Old Trafford with with the a weaker eleven than they had last season. So it's just humiliating. It really, really is. I know they're a half decent Premier League outfit. No, they're 
they're probably among the top top eight teams in the league. But it's Manchester United, Old Trafford, we're talking about. You know, we can't just like, say, "Oh, Brighton are a good team." You know, it's not. You know, it's not an embarrassment to lose to Brighton. Yes, it is because you know we expect a lot better than this. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this was supposed, like I say, yes, you can't get away from Brighton. Brighton are a good side. I say, I remember, I think they beat Spurs at the end of last season. They're a good team. Graham Potter's a good manager. They're well organized. They've got great tactics. They work really hard. They put teams under pressure. They absolutely deserve to win every single bit of it. But the fact is that Manchester United at home should be giving them a lot more of a game than what we did. I mean, we should have had some good chances. We should be really putting them under pressure. But it wasn't even close. I mean, it was simple. You know, two 0 Sit back. We didn't have a sniff. Any any chance we did have were completely blunt. You know, hitting it straight at the goalkeeper, like you said, with Rashford. And yeah, it it was it really wasn't even close. I mean, they 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 won the game pretty comfortably at the end of it all. And that that's the saddest part of it, or that's kind of the the worst news of all. It's not that they won the game. It's it's the nature and the in in how they won it. Um, was nearly nearly the worst thing. Well, the good thing is that you know Ten Hag is now seen firsthand just how unreliable the squad is, you know. And Mr. Glazer was also there today, as was the CEO Richard Arnold. So no one, no no one who was sitting there watching that on the bench or in the stands could say, "Oh, that we've got a great team. We don't need to send anyone." They got to see just how bad we really are and how urgent it is to, to get players in, you know, right now. So I suppose that's the one saving grace. A hundred percent, absolutely. I mean, you know, when Ten Hag started, you know, I um I remember thinking, and I don't know if I said on the podcast or not, that you know, you know, even a manager who's been successful elsewhere, you never mind the Premier League, you can't really witness what exactly the challenges are going to be until you actually start testing your squad and your tactics in actual games. And I mean, today I'm sure he got a rude awakening and realized what he maybe thought was going to be a side that was going to probably win that game or have a good chance, and he, he will now see just how far off the pace they are, whether that was tactically or personally from the players' efforts or all of the above. He will now realise, if he hadn't already realised, the job that he has got to do is, is a big one. Um, and that today will have absolutely solidified that in his mind. Uh, the one thing is, I like I like the look of his personality. I like the look of his determination. And I can only imagine that he just see it as a challenge. And that's what we need. Because um, yeah, it's it's a big job, and it has to be um, somebody who's who wants that job and wants to take that challenge on. So hopefully, it'll just be a, a kind of a um, motivation for him. But hundred percent, Kyle today, I think he'd be looking and thinking, "This is this is there's a lot of work to be done here. There's a lot, a lot of work." Oh, oh big time! Um, so let's get on to our first player ratings of the season. This is going to be fun. Um, so David De Gea, I go with a five. Dallo a three. I think Maguire a six. Martinez a six. Shaw another three. I'm afraid. Scott McTominay a one. I think Fred a one. Uh, Bruno Fernandez a three. Uh, Jane Sancho a five. Christian Eriksen a six. And Marcus Rashford a three. Um, and Ronaldo, who came on, uh, I think I'll give him a six for for his cameo. And also Van der Beek, uh, I'll give him a six for his what 19 minutes or whatever it was. And the rest of them didn't only play in stoppage time, so can't really give them rating. So, yeah, it's a fairly simple uh, rundown there of the ratings. Um, it wasn't very hard because most of them were rubbish. Um, so any disagreements from yourself then, Chris? None at all, Kyle. Not a single one. I, I totally agree with you. I think everybody you named there that played reasonable, um, Sancho, Eriksen, De Gea, and the two centre-backs were about the only people who played reasonably well. Uh, everybody else, a lot to be desired. So, yeah, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't disagree with anything, I have to say. Not one. Yeah, hugely disappointing afternoon. Um, I know I w- we, we were joking uh, before the game about... How long will it take for the the new season optimism to be drained from us? And I thought, even I thought it wouldn't be today. It wouldn't be today. It'll be the Liverpool game or something like that. I didn't think it, right from the off would be the, the optimism would be sucked and, and drained out of us. But that's exactly what transpired today. I mean, it, lit- it literally, when you think about it, was sat within minutes, not even hours or days or weeks. Minutes within minutes. It, I mean, not even by recent United. You know, squad standards, that's got to be some kind of a record. 
um, for the optimism to go in, in that space of time. It, it was it was just poor, really, really, really poor. So just to cheer everyone up, um, Erling Holland got off to a flyer for Manchester City, scoring twice on his debut against West Ham. And Darwin Nunes, who who Ten Hag wanted, scored for Liverpool yesterday, even though they only drew with Fulham. Um, so, yeah, we're already you know behind um, Manchester City anyway. Um, and I don't think, I think the gap is going to widen, you know, <laughs> to be to be honest with you. We'll be lucky to to get into the top four this season. We, we're going to have to displace, like I said earlier, we're going to displace someone like Chelsea or Tottenham to get in the top four and Hopnan. Um, unless we can make some very astute signings between now and the end of August and Ten Hag can get his playing a lot better than this. You know, we're just not going to be in that race. We're going to be fighting it out with the teams who are vying for a spot in the, the second rate competitions once again, I'm afraid. Um, but like I say, we have to be patient with the manager. The only thing is that the Adidas money is going to be cut by like 25% if he failed to make the Champions League at the end of the season. So it'll be interesting to see how what the owners will make of that. And they obviously, that's what they care about. One of them was there today. They're going to be hugely worried now um, about making top four this season. And hopefully, you know, from a fan perspective, that's going to push them to to go out and get someone like Frankie de Jong on, on, the, on the striker uh, as quickly as possible. Because, you know, both us and the owners don't want us to finish outside the top four for different reasons. But yeah, we, we, we both have the, the, the same goal in mind, I suppose, in, in a sense. So yeah, and like I said earlier, the the board were all there to witness that absolute shambolic display and they know that the urgent surgery is needed on the squad sooner rather than later. Um if if they have to go and pay De Jong's deferred wages themselves, Manchester United, do it. You know, we, we need to we're desperate. Everyone knows we're desperate. There's no point in trying to hide it. Let, let's go and get these deals done by any means possible. 100%, 100%. What was it, Rania called it? We need open heart surgery. I mean, <laughs> yeah. open heart surgery doesn't say to me you need a couple of players. It means the squad needs gutted, virtually start from scratch. You've got a couple of decent players, and bar that, you need to basically revamp the whole thing. And have we done that? Not even remotely close. So you're absolutely right, Kyle. We It reeks of desperation because we are desperate. Everybody knows it. It's on the pitch for all to see. We're nowhere near good enough. If we've anywhere, like you say, fans have ambitions of winning leagues and Champions Leagues, or the very least being in the Champions League, the owners and, and shareholders have ambitions of being in the Champions League for purely financial reasons. But either way, neither of those two things, as you said, are going to happen until we start signing better players and start actually giving Ten Hag what he asks for. If he asks for number one target, we need to go and get his number one target. Get him whoever he wants. Get him De Jong. Get him Anthony. Get him whoever he asks for number one targets, not number two or three or four, or we'll get him in, he'll do. No, get them the number one targets. We've spent a lot of money in the past. We've had money to spend, but it's been misspent. Let's start spending the money wisely, getting in the people that guy actually wants and needs and start making things happen. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. Um, there was a very peculiar link um, to Manchester United just before the game started. In fact, it's more than a link now. Uh, every reliable source is now saying that Manchester United have bidded for this player. And that is Bologna's Marco Anatovic, who used to play for West Ham. Say that Stoke again, City. Kyle. Just a wee bit of interference in my headphones <laughs> there. Say that once again. Austrian striker Marco Anatovic has been linked with Manchester United, the 33-year-old Bologna striker, who scored 14 Serie A goals last season for the mighty Bologna. And... To say the least, no, the, the fans online are extremely underwhelmed by this. Um, he is, however, a player that has worked with Eric Ten Hag and Steve McLaren at FC20 previously in his career. Um, so clearly they've identified him as someone who is a, obviously not their first choice, but someone who can come in and do a job in the short term, given his age at 33. God, Manchester United really do love signing veteran strikers. I mean, how many have we had over the years? You know, even go back to Henrik Larsson and more mission times. We've had Falcao, Ronaldo himself, uh, Cavani, Ibrahimovic. And now we're talking about Marco Anatovic. Um, yeah, he's a player that has a lot of ability. He just um, hasn't displayed that often enough. He doesn't, he's not a goal scorer. 
but he is a big six foot four centre forward. He can hold the ball up, bring others into play, and he is capable of brilliance, although not on a consistent basis. Um, I think one of the things I do like about him is that he's a nasty bastard, and we don't have enough of those in Manchester United. So obviously it's an underwhelming name, but we ha- like we said at the start of the summer, whoever Ten Hag wants, you know, we have to go along with it. And I I, I hate this idea of you know criticizing a player before he's even pulled on the shirt. We have to give everyone a chance. We're sitting here criticizing McTominay and Fred, but these guys have played like two hundred games for United each. You know we've seen them and we you know we were able to judge them. We have to give if Nadevich comes in this week, we have to give him a chance before we judge him. Um, so I do accept that it's underwhelming. And in a window where you know Liverpool have signed Darwin Nunes and United or City have signed um, Erling Haaland, and they're both off the flyer in the Premier League, you know it's hard to take. You know, us signing Marco Nadevic. Um, but that 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 seems to be what, what's happening. You know, uh, Bologna have rejected United's initial approach, uh, but United are expected to up their bid. Um, and 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 clearly because he's worked with Ten Hag and McLaren before, it seems as if this is totally their idea. But obviously, he's not the ideal candidate that they would have wanted at the start of the window. Perhaps the plan was not even to sign a striker this summer, given that we've so many other positions to fill, uh, so many fires to put out. Um, but given that Ronaldo was desperate to leave, desperate to leave, you know, and Martial tend to get injured all the time we have to bring someone in and if you know the bulk of the money is going to be spent on De Jong and Martinez for example then we're going to have to you know look at kind of budget options for Santa forward and someone who can come in do a job for a year and then we'll make the big signing next summer uh, at number nine so I, I, I went off on a complete tangent there so what is your thoughts on it all then Chris? No, I think you've made a very good point there, Kyle. I was gonna, I was gonna disagree with you, and then you said that last bit, and I thought, no, I think you're making a very good point there. That actually, um, you're right. It probably, probably wasn't in giving them their dues. You know, I mean, Gary Neville and just seeing Sky Sports here says desperate. It's a pattern. It's happening time and time again, and that is how it feels for most people. But actually, that's a good point. You're right. I don't think that actually United expected Ronaldo to want to leave. Um, you know, we're heard that it's because there's no Champions League football. But as we, as we ourselves talked about previously, well, he knew that the day the season ended last season. So how come he's waited till near the end of the of the transfer window to decide he's going? So I don't think that they expected him to leave. So in fairness to Ten Hag and McLaren and to um, United in general, they're probably caught on the hop a wee bit with this, which is probably why. Yes, it's desperation, but probably desperation because it, it Ronaldo's let them down. So. Giving them their dues, um. But yeah, and in, in you know the positive side will be what you said there is that this is just going to get us through the next year, and then we'll make the the signing of the striker that they probably had planned for future down the line. So that's the positive side. I think it's fair. But in the short term, I can see why people are a bit disillusioned because you're talking about losing Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the best players to ever play the game, and if he's going to be uh, replaced by Marco Arnautovic. But I again agree with you. I when I when I saw him play for West Ham, I always rated him. Thought he's a good player big guy like you say takes no bs and he's got he's got great ability but once again again as you said kind of the difference is consistency the top level players will do it week in week out i don't think he's going to do that i think he will in fits and spurts you'll see an, a, a world-class player but i can't imagine he's going to come in and score 20 goals in the league this season or anything close so um yeah it's underwhelming but like you said with a positive spin it's probably just a bit of a patch because ronaldo's kind of let us down and maybe Next season, then we'll sign we'll sign a more kind of permanent um, replacement. So yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, and I don't think he's going to be the the number one starter all the time anyway. I think he's going to be a squad player. You know, we'll probably start him in certain games, and in other games, we'll bring him off the bench for twenty minutes to go. Um, and he's different to, you know, if, if Ronaldo does leave, then he he give us something that we don't have, and that's someone who can play with his back to go and hold the ball up and bring and. Bring others into play. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yep. We really lacked that in the first half today. You know, before Ronaldo came on, there was no vocal point. The there was. I hate. I just can't stand this false nine uh, approach to football. I mean, oh, we're not even going to see Pep Guardiola do it anymore. They were the, you know, he's like the the false nine merchant. Now they've got yeah. Erling. He's they've got Erling Holland. We're not going to see that anymore. Um. 
So I don't want to see us doing it. Um, and, and I appreciate, you know, what Ten Hag said after the game that, you know, Ronaldo had only, he'd only been training for just over a week. You know, he's not ready to play 90 minutes in a Premier League game. So I get that. But yeah, Ronaldo could leave before the window's over. Uh, and we do need a target man. You know, we need to have that option uh, at least. Um, he's not the name that anyone was on anyone's list. Um, but, you know, I'll back him. If he comes in, puts himself about and scores a few goals for United, no, I'll be delighted. I just have a feeling that, you know, people are obviously very, very underwhelmed by this. But I have a feeling that he'll exceed expectations. Uh, I think he, he'll do reasonably well. I don't think he's going to come in and score 20 league goals or anything like that. But I think he'll come in, he'll get the fans on side with his work rate, you know, his passion and his sledging of opposition players. And I think he might score an important goal or two. So I think this will work out better than than the way people are anticipating. No, I think that's I think that's fair. No, I mean, you give give the prime example in recent years, Odi and Agallo. I mean, we signed Odi and Agallo, and everybody went, "Who are are you are you serious?" And personally, I thought the guy was great. He every game he gave one hundred and twenty percent. Like Arnautovic was great at holding the ball up. He played really well. There wasn't one game where I said that guy um, needs to be hooked. Every game you knew we were going to get. He wasn't electric pace. He wasn't going to you know be doing bicycle kicks, but you knew what you're going to get. And and I literally have a lot of respect for the fella. And Arnautovic, I think, has you know a bit more in the locker than that. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's for Kyle. I think if he does come in, he'll do very well. Um, I guess where people are cynical and getting frustrated, it's less Arnautovic himself. It's more that it, it it reminds us of the 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 approach that United seem to take often of not being organised and desperate. But again, caveating with what with what we've said there is that they probably just weren't expecting to need a striker because they thought you know Martial was going to be there they thought right they thought um Ronaldo was going to stay so I think they've just maybe just been caught on the hop give giving them giving them the benefit of the doubt um but yeah I hope he does well a lot to like about him yeah the fans will probably love him he's got a, he's got a lot of ability I've seen him score brilliant goals really brilliant goals he went that is out of the top drawer so I mean he's got a lot of ability um, so yeah, I think I think maybe he could be he could turn out to be a sort of a cult a cult hero. Yeah, he certainly could be. Um, he's got he's he I suppose he's one of those players that probably is a, a scorer of great goals rather than great goal scorer. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a good he's, he's certainly put himself about as well. Um, sure. You know, he's he's got a very volatile personality, and and opposition fans obviously hate players like that. But when you have a player like that on your side, you, you tend to love them. Um, absolutely absolutely so i could like, like i said earlier i think this could work out better than people are anticipating Um, you just have to give everyone a chance Um, you know not every player that comes into the club is going to be of your liking he's also also players are going you're going to sign players of nobody's heard of you know come on that's even even use solsker as an example when he signed for united i think even the the the, the, the squad were underwhelmed they, they, like who is this young kid in a shirt and jeans he looks like a student what is he what's he doing here at carrington and then once he started to play ball then they realized oh he is a player so you know sometimes you know the most underwhelming signings can can work out you know better than the, the biggest names that you sign you know so absolutely 100 percent. yep like i said you know i know gallo didn't set the word light but i i really liked him and for me he exceeded expectations so yep or not could could do the same i'm, I'm with more ability so yep yeah, just on Gallo, I thought he'd done really well in that that spell that he had at United um, in 2020 when he came in in January. Um, unfortunately, only six weeks later, the football was shut down completely, um, and then he didn't really play much after that. Cavani then came in in uh, that summer, and he, he didn't play any more matches. But in that short spell where he was, you know, a backup striker and he was playing in Europa League games. I thought he, he was fantastic. I mean, there's one goal that really stands out in Linz in Austria. we done that uh, control with left foot, right foot, and then volley in off the underside of the bar. That was unbelievable. That. Was I remember good. even Solskjaer's reaction to that. He's all, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I remember that. That was a peach. It was an absolute peach. Yeah, it was, I remember, yeah. Brilliant goal! Yeah, I remember because you know we all kind of had low expectations of a guy, and everybody's like, you know, any striker would be happy with that goal. You know, it's a flick. You know, you know even Ronaldo would have been happy with that. You know what I mean? Messi would be happy with that. That's a, that's a great goal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if that was Ronaldo or Messi, we'd be seeing the highlight reels for a hundred years. 
Absolutely, yeah, it was a great goal, absolutely great goal, 100%. Um, yeah, and he, it was his dream to play for United, he's a big United fan of Gallo, he even makes that clear even today on social yeah. media, he still walks around in United shirts. Um, yeah, so maybe Anoutovic could could be another, could do as well or better than Gallo on for a longer period. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to be positive about it, you know, obviously everyone online, or most people online are being extremely negative about this, but this could work out, you know, this could work out well. Because nobody's saying he's going to be our number nine for the next five seasons. It's just a stopgap, really, until we make the big sign in next summer, hopefully. And maybe that'll be Benjamin Sasko, the Slovenian striker from Salzburg to we're linked with. I think Salzburg's plan is to keep him for another season and then sell him next year. And hopefully by then he scored another 20 or 30 goals for Salzburg. And then we can swoop in in May and, and sign him for like, 50 million pounds. And he can be the new Holland and things will be rosier again at Old Trafford when we've got a, a marvellous young number nine up front. Because we, eventually we need to sign a striker that we're going to have for 10 years because we're constantly signing veterans up front. You know, we need to start banning someone for the future. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, we need to start. I mean, like I said earlier, you know, uh, like Ranick said, you know, the squad needs open heart surgery and that includes probably a recognised striker. Um Similarly, and probably naively, I uh, when I seen a couple of flashes of uh, Martial in preseason, I thought, oh, maybe, you know, maybe Martial is going to finally start to realise his potential. But yeah, he's unlucky. I guess he's injured. So you know, maybe he'll come back and and with a new lease of life under Ten Hag, still hopeful about that. Um, but regardless, you, you you would think that we still need to sign a striker eventually. Um, so we're going to have to do that at some stage. Um, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully that happens. Yeah. Um, big, big statement by Gary Neville on Sky Sports after the game. He says, the time has come for the Glazer family to sell the football club. The time has come. It's now. Right now. That's a... I didn't know he said that. That's quite big. He's getting stronger and stronger with his statements. About, he used to not even talk about the Glazers. He used to just focus on Ed Woodward. But now he's he's very, very open about his opposition to the current ownership of the club. Um, and he, he's seen that shambolic performance. He's seen us being linked to Anoutovic and clearly, you know, he's getting emotional uh, and, you know, all his thoughts are coming out on live TV. So I don't blame him for saying that. I mean, there was another protest today, another march, you know, before the game. Yeah, and I totally agree with their sentiments, but you kind of, you, you don't really get anywhere with, if you're going to protest and then you buy a ticket to the match, you're, the Glazers don't care then. You know, you've you've given them the you've already given them the money. You know, the, the the best way to protest is a big empty stadium or a big empty stand on live TV. But you know, fans because of their emotional attachment to the to the team, then they won't do that. But yeah, I totally agree with the with protesting and and hopefully the Glazers will even the end. I mean, if we have another disastrous season, right? And uh, the Adidas money gets cut and you know, Team Veer are not renewing their contract with the club. You know the sponsor, the new sponsor deals that they're signing are not as lucrative as they used to be. Um, you know, there's there's meant to be another global financial crash coming. You know, Glazers rely have heavily on credit, um, from you know American banks. I mean, the like when there was another when there was a global crash back in two thousand and eight, the Glazers then pocketed the eighty million for Ronaldo in two thousand nine. We never saw that money ever again. Um, so. They'll tighten the. They have to tighten the purse strings. And how is that going to work when you've got a really, really average team who are not even getting into the top four? The 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 the, the share price is going to go down. The 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 value of the club will go down. And you know, it's a it's a real possibility now that the Glazers might have to con- consider selling up. So, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think I think that that's that's pretty correct. Um, in terms of Gary Neville. Yeah, he started to get stronger. I'm not surprised in some ways. I'm actually all the way surprised that you don't hear it more often. It reminds me when I think about it of uh, Alan Shearer. I remember his opposition to Mike Ashley, um, and he, 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 in no uncertain terms, he just said all the time, "Mike Ashley just needs to leave." Um, you know, he, there was no kind of diplomacy there. So, um, you know, I'm not saying that the Glazers are maybe seen in quite the light that Mike Ashley was when he owned Newcastle. Um, but they're certainly not popular. We all know that. Um, yeah, in terms of the uh, in terms of whether they're actually sell up, I mean, I think a lot of fans, most fans, myself included, would be too happy to see them sell up. Um, and 
I think where some of us fans often clash, Kyle, is is not the sentiment or the feeling um, or the view towards the ownership. It's how we actually go about making things change. Um, so I respect all the guys who do anything. I respect the guys who protest, um, whether they go into the stadium or not, because at least they're, they're doing something. I agree with you. In an ideal world, I mean, I think nothing hits the the owners more than their pockets. And I know there's other fan groups where I've, who have encouraged people to not not engage with sponsors and things like that. Um, and, I, and I agree with that sentiment too, 100%, because, yep, hit them where it hurts in, in their pocket. Um, it seems like, for various reasons, probably being the ch- not being in the Champions League is a big reason why the sponsorship deals are not as lucrative. I know they're not going to get that European level exposure um, at, the, at the, you know, in prime time kind of viewing, etc. So, yeah, a lot of things. And with that political climate and the potential for a, a another downturn in the economy, like you talked about, maybe now is the time for the Glazers to sell up. Um, I'd be only too happy for them to do it. And there's other things going on in the background as well, of course. You know, there's talk about the fan, the potential of a fan share, share scheme. Um, I'm not aware of every single minute detail of that. And some of it's quite, you know, financial jargon, etc. So, um, you know, only the guys who are really heavily involved will know all the detail. Um, but on the face of it, that seems to me like a pretty, pretty good, good idea. Uh, and I would like to see that certainly being taken forward, regardless of who our ownership is. I like that. I like that kind of model. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd only be too happy to see the Glazers sell up. Somebody else come in as the majority shareholder, and the club to be run a different way, not to be run in this debt-ridden way where they just take dividends out, like you talked about, pocketing money for for uh, selling players purely for themselves. I mean, that that's just that just feeds like it just feeds like a, a cold and not nice way to um to run a football club, in my opinion. Um, so I would be very happy to see an ownership that wouldn't do that type of thing. Um, so, yeah, may- maybe the times now, uh, I agree with Guy Neville, I'm sure you do too, and I'm sure most fans do as well, that um, I think we'll be only too happy to see a change of ownership. So, yeah, let's see how it plays out. Yeah, um, yeah, totally agree. Um, Rob Dawson of ESPN says, Manchester United are in talks to sign Benjamin Sesko and Marco Arnautovic. The two moves are considered separate. United remain in talks with RB Salzburg for Sesco. So, you know, the fans are disappointed with the potential and out of his signing. The, the blow might be softened by signing a young striker at the same time. Um, yeah, I think we do need more than one addition, you know, up front. Because, yeah, you, if you take out Ronaldo and you, you're left with Martial, Rashford and Sancho, Sancho, terrific player, Martial always injured. Rashford been out of form for two years, and, and then you're down to the likes of Alanga and stuff. So you haven't got much to work with. United do need, you know, probably two or three reinforcements up front. So that would be a really good idea if we roll in two forwards, a very experienced one, and a young up and coming striker. I think that would be a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's slightly more positive um, news. Is that 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 he's not the the striker that he's a, another striker. I think that would certainly be better. And um, we definitely need a younger striker, of course, as we talked about. Um, you, I mean, in any position, you need to have replacements. You know, you, you really want ideally probably four strikers at least, anyway, don't you? Um, you know, so that if you get two injured, yeah, you can you can replace them with another two. So you know, you definitely want you definitely want to have plenty of options. Um, and if yeah, if Martial is going to stay out of form as he had been for a long time or Andor be injured and if Ronaldo's going to leave and we've really only got Alanga and Rashford either doesn't want to play up front or isn't going to be able to kind of take chances as, as we've seen, then yeah, another, I can see why they would want to buy two more strikers to have more options. Um, so that, 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 would, that would be a little bit more positive. Um, but again, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, anything can happen, nothing can happen. I, I just don't know. Yeah, I, I anticipate it's going to be a chaotic end to the window. Like I think there's probably going to make a, a big signing, probably De Jong, and then there's going to be some unusual signings up front, and and, and that seems to be the case. <laughs> um, so I always at the start of the season, it's always interesting to see not only who starts the game, who's on the bench, but who didn't even make the bench, and that was very interesting. No Baye and no Lindelof on the bench. Um, that's it. And I was anticipating by you know being left out because I think he's going to move on to Roma or Sevilla. 
but Lindelof been left out of the squad completely. Um, the defenders on the bench were Juan Basaka, Varane, and Malasaya. So, could Lindelof potentially be on his way out? What do you think? Good question, Kyle. Yeah. Um, like I say, watching the preseason games, there was a lot of a lot of experiments. Um, and yeah, the fact that he wasn't even on the bench, unless there's some other reason for it, uh, injury or some other reason, then it sounds like uh, Ten Hag maybe just doesn't fancy him. Um, certainly, like we talked about earlier, I think that it's better to have two people who are kind of opposites. Uh, the fact that Maguire was continue, was um, kept on as captain indicated that he was going to start or he was going to be first choice because you're not going to have your captain on the bench. So it was always, I think, going to be a case of who's going to be the natural partner. And it sounds like um, he likes the look of Martinez uh, or Varane or somebody else um, over, over Lindelof. Um, so, yeah, sounds like he's not, not fancied. Well, it, if we go on today's selections, it seems that Maguire and Martinez is his first choice, which is what we anticipated, and Varane is his you know, third choice defender, and then obviously Lindelof must be fourth choice, and then, then Bailly will probably be leaving the club. So yeah, uh, at best, Lindelof is fourth choice. At worst, he could be moved on. So yeah, and and you know, he can't complain. He's He's played over, was it 250 games now for the club? And I don't think he's good enough. Yeah, he's he's let us down quite a lot. I'm sure he's a he's a lovely guy, but he it's not a personality contest. This is this is top level football, uh, and he just hasn't been good enough for United. The Maguire and Love partnership, uh, which you came together under Oli, was has been largely a disaster. Uh, you know, it lacks pace, obviously, but Lindelof as an individual isn't strong enough, isn't good enough in the air. He's slow. He doesn't get close enough. He gets bullied by strong centre forwards. So just, I think he'd be a good defender in the Liga, for example, in Spain. But I just don't think he's suited to the Premier League. And if his time's up, then I certainly won't complain. Yeah, I think I remember um, way back, even when he was signed from, I think it was Benfica that he played for. That people had said that he was gonna, it was gonna be a different scenario at United because Benfica dominate. Um, most of the games they play and they have lots of the ball and you know he's almost like just kind of you know sits almost like a sweeper and you know he's able to do the tidy stuff and spray the ball about and and you can see at United you know he tried to almost do that at times and he liked the ball at his feet and like to pick out a pass and those kind of things but when he was really under pressure you know people running directly at him uh between him and Maguire you know not complimenting each other he was always a bit of a liability and that and, and that's the problem and you know regardless of even whether he himself individually was good enough i don't think that him and Maguire together are a good partnership and um, i don't think he has enough of what Maguire lacks and like i said earlier i think martinez does i can see martinez making up for Maguire's shortcomings and vice versa i didn't see that with linda love and they didn't gel overly well and they were both kind of had the same feelings um in terms of lack of pace like you said and um, positioning was poor sometimes so um yeah i don't think he can really complain I mean, I, I don't dislike him one bit. Like you say, he's probably a nice guy. And I think he is a good player in his own right. And he'd probably do very well in, in, in another team playing a slightly different, with a, maybe a different partner. Um, But yeah, uh, I don't think that that partnership's particularly great. And and if, um, and I can see, you know, understand Ten Hag wants to keep Maguire as captain, et cetera, and stuff. Well, then I think it's it's probably the right thing that um, that Lindelof doesn't, doesn't play alongside him. So yeah, I think it's fair. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, I think it's about time Lindelof was relegated to, to fourth choice and, and not being an automatic selection as he was previously. Um, Diogo Dallo said after the game, I'm disappointed. I think we started really bad in the first 45 minutes. Second half, we got a little better, but it's still not enough to win a game like this. I'm sorry, Diogo. You're crap, son. You know, you're part of the problem, you know. Um, yeah, I'm sure you're, again, I'm sure you're a nice guy. And you try hard, but you're just not good enough. You know, you lack even the most basic defensive skills. Going forward, you know, you're very much a mixed bag. Um, so yeah, I I like I've said on previous podcasts, I think you know the I think the, the entire back four probably needs replaced in time. We've obviously made two additions to the back four, and I, I think we need to focus on getting a, a new right back and, and probably another centre defender in time if if things don't improve with Maguire. But the early signs are good for Maguire. Let's see, we're only one game in. But yeah, um, I imagine that in three years' time, if Ten Hag's still here, the team's going to have a very different look about it. You, you might see an entirely different eleven, except for Sancho, maybe. Um, 
but, but let's see. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, like we've said, you know, plenty of times before, you know, uh, Randy said open heart surgery that was never going to happen in one transfer window or even in two. Although I know some people said, oh, you know, I'd only take a couple. You know, I don't think that's the case, and I think Ten Hag knows that's not the case. And Ten Hag himself has said at Ajax, and I think when he came to United as well, that you know he knows himself that you have to work with the squad that you have at the start and try and just get results out of them. And then in time, start building the squad that you really, really want. And I think that that's what he's going to aim to do. So you're right, Kyle. I think in a few, in two or maybe three years' time, United's going to look, the first team's going to look very, very different to what it does now. But in the short term, he's going to have to try and get something out of what he has um, because, yeah, it's a results business and he's going to need to pick up some results. Um, but yeah, but I, I think I think we should back him and hopefully. Um, eventually the squad will look like what he wants it to look like and, and it will be successful but it's going to take time Okay, uh, we'll leave it there for today, uh, it's been fantastic to have you on the show again Chris, hopefully the next time you're on it's uh, under better circumstances I hope so Kyle, I hope so, it feels like there's been a lot of these not so good circumstances it'd be nice to be on after a nice nice positive result, so yeah, hopefully the next time that will be the case, thanks mate Yeah, please God Okay, see you later Take care, thank you